Alright, let's pick up again and we'll next week go through these verses very specifically, but I'm trying to give you some background of what to be looking for and the whys uh, as we as we go along, uh, uh, as we prepare to go along and look more at the flood story uh, and also the issue of the corruption of man on the earth that we find in chapter 6 of the book of Genesis. But um, uh, I think I think we were I was stumbling along a moment ago. Uh, NOAA, I think it's the National Atmospheric and Oceanographic Association. Uh, NOAA, that's that's our uh, government weather organization. Uh, National Atmospheric and Oceanographic Association, NOAA. And then um, the Hebrew word to go up is NASA. So. <laughs> Our rocket thing is NASA to go up. Uh, there's some, some, I think, with some German, Jewish scientists had some humor when they came up with these uh, these descriptions. NASA means to go up in Hebrew. Uh, all right, uh, we're going to be talking some more about the issues of chapter six in Genesis, but I want to give you some more about the the, the the ark. What was the ark? And remember that the scientists lay down on the floor and they die laughing. Tell the ark, ha ha ha. Uh, what, a, what a joke. Well, they were all laughing but Emanuel Vilkowski. And he said, no, 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 there's something going on here. There's something going on here. And now, it's not that he was a Bible believer in the sense of believing in the God of the Old Testament, uh, but he believes in the events, the historical events, and say that they were, he says they were recorded in the Scriptures. Here's what Vilkowski also says. He says, let's, let's assume as a working hypothesis that under the impact of a force or the influence of an agent <clears throat> and the earth does not travel in an empty universe the axis of the earth look up here the axis of the earth shifted or tilted at that moment an earthquake would make the globe shudder now watch this air and water would continue to move through inertia hurricanes would sweep the earth and the seas would rush over continents, carrying gravel and sand and marine animals, and casting them on the land. Heat would be developed, rocks would melt, volcanoes would erupt, lava would flow from fissures in the ruptured ground and cover vast areas. Mountains would spring up from the plains and would travel and carry on the shoulders of other mountains, causing faults and rifts. Lakes would be tilted and empty. Rivers would change their beds. Large land areas with all their inhabitants would slip under the sea. Forests would burn and the hurricanes and wild seas would rest them from the ground on which they grew and pile them branch and root in huge heaps. Seas would turn into deserts, their waters rolling over, rolling away. And if a change in the velocity, the velocity of the rotation, slowing it down, should uh, I'm not saying that everything he says is the way it happened. I'm just saying that the, the scenario that he pictures certainly could be overlaid on much that we would see in Genesis. If a change in the velocity of the rotation, slowing it down, should accompany the shifting of the axis, look up here, the water confined to the equatorial oceans by a centrifugal force would retreat to the poles and high tides and hurricanes would rush from pole to pole. Now, by the way, what Vilkowski is saying is what we see in geology. He's not making this up. He studied all geology through all the continents. 
And he says, this is what we see in geology, but they don't tell you that in school. They hide this from you because they don't want, they want, you, to, don't, don't want, don't want you to fully understand what we really see in geology. And that's what I was getting in the course that I was taking. And I said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This sounds like Genesis. Uh, and the, the, the professor just kind of just didn't, didn't want to talk about it. The waters confined to the equatorial oceans by centrifugal force would retreat to the poles. High tides, hurricanes would rush from pole to pole, carrying reindeer and seals to the tropics and desert lions into the Arctic. Moving from the equator up the mountain ridges of the Himalayas and down into the African jungles, the, the, the and, and crumpled rocks torn from splintering mountains would be scattered over large distances, and herds of animals would be washed from the plains of Siberia. The shifting of the axis would also change the climate of every place, leaving corals in Newfoundland, elephants in Alaska, fig trees in northern Greenland, by the way, this is what they find now. Remember, he's just not, he's just not making this up, okay? This is what we find in geology. Uh, in northern Green, in Greenland, luxuriant forests in Antarctica, in the event, now watch this, of a rapid shift of the axis, many species and genera of animals on Earth and in the sea would be destroyed, and civilizations, if any, would be reduced to ruin would be reduced to ruin. Does that not sound like Genesis? And he's not an avid Bible believer. He just says the Bible is giving us a story that, that, that is, is, is very, very valid. And we cannot just dismiss it. Now, here we are in, in uh, the hill country. Do you know much about the hill country? Do you know what we got on the ground around here? Duke knows. Petrified forests? How do you get petrified forests? You get petrified forests by taking a forest, now watch this, and turning it upside down and packing it with tons of rocks and dirt and taking these trees and encapsulating them in, 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 in mud and dirt. A petrified tree is not a petrified tree. What happens is you pack it with dirt, remove the oxygen from, from trees, and the cells of the tree then are replaced with, uh, with, with dirt and rock. So a, petrified, a piece of petrified wood is not wood any longer. It's rock. And here in, in where we are, it's, it's full of, of leftover petrified wood, petrified forests, where we're living, okay? And if you look at the ground close enough out here, say, say west of here, you'll find shark teeth. Okay, you will find. I found a bone of a of a uh, uh, of a mastodon or a tooth of a mastodon that was this big, uh, just north of here at one time. It was that big, and one of our several of our moves, I I, I I lost it, but the tooth was that big. Uh, shark teeth. Uh, how did all that get here? How did how how did how do you get the petrified forests? And, and there, there, there are places around the, the hill country here where you have filling stations built of petrified wood. It's not wood, it's rock. Petrified rock, which means that forests used to be here and suddenly they were turned upside down and folded in, in rock and in dirt and quick pressed and, and all the oxygen was, was driven out of these forests and then the, uh, the cells 
the, the living the living uh, cells were leached out, and suddenly you had dirt going into the what was left of these trees, and you have petrified wood, or you have rock. It looks like a, a piece of uh, it looks like a piece of wood, but it's not wood; it's rock. And you have to have quick action. Now watch, watch my hand motion. You cannot have a petrified tree. Do this, watch. Here's a tree standing up and it goes, boom, it falls over and it just sits there a few years and rots away. It doesn't work that way. It has to be shoved over and pushed over by quick action and then smothered. The whole forest has to be smothered to create petrified wood. It has to happen dramatically and quickly not in a short period of time. That would be a sign of what? It would be a sign of the flood story. The flood story. You cannot escape it. Now why the flood story? Look at chapter 6. Why the flood? Why did God bring the flood? Well, first of all, we're also going to have the scattering of humanity. Okay, The scattering of mankind because of sin. And sin will reconstitute, because of sin, the earth will be reconstituted. The earth is going to be reshaped, reformed. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. It came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever because he is also flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be a hundred and twenty. There will be a dropping of, of years from six, seven hundred, eight hundred years, nine hundred years down to a hundred and twenty years. What is God going to do? He's going to shorten the life of humanity. Why? Because men are so sinful. And men compound sin. And God's going to say, God says, I'm going to cut them off. I'm going to reconstitute the, 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 the humanity of earth. <clears throat> the Nephilim, we're going to talk about that next week. Who are the Nephilim? <clears throat> the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. We're going to look at that next week. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. If you think it's bad now, it was bad then, pre-flood. And that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Can you imagine when people were just, they were just evil. Everybody, they woke up in the morning, evil thoughts, went to bed at night, evil thoughts, evil thoughts, evil thoughts, evil thoughts. The Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things to birds of the sky, for I am grieved. Your Bible probably says I'm sorry, but really this word should probably better be translated I'm grieved. I am grieved that I have made man. God has emotions. God hates sin. God is, 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 is hurt because of the sinfulness of man. Did God know that man would turn this way? Yes, he did. Why did he allow it to go on? You ask him when we get to, to glory, okay? 
you talk to him about that because I don't fully understand that. He could have stopped it. He could have wiped us all out long ago. But he allowed it to go on because he has a plan. There's a, there's a big plan and that's what the whole Bible is about, this plan. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the records of the generations of Noah. He was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked on the earth. Behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me. The earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. Now, I want to read just, I've just got 10 minutes. Give me, give me 10 minutes. Uh, I want to read some things about the, uh, the, uh, the ark for a moment. Um, <clears throat> Noah's ark was the largest seagoing vessel ever built until the late 19th century. Now listen, when giant metal ships were first constructed, the ark was approximately 450 feet by 75 feet. But as late as 1858, 1858, the largest vessel of her type in the world was the liner Himalaya, which was 240 feet by 36 feet, uh, 35 feet. In other words, the ark was two to three times larger than any vessel ever built until 1858. The ark was the largest vessel ever built. The Babylonian account of the flood story, which speaks of the ark, its spark, it spoke of it as a cube, a square, <laughs> betraying complete ignorance. Such a vessel would spin slowly around, but the biblical ratios leave nothing to be desired. These ratios in the Bible are important from the point of view of stability, of pitching and rolling. The ratio of length to breadth, 300 by 50, is 6 to 1, taking the mean of, of six present-day ships of approximately the same size, selected from six different shipping lines, we obtain a ratio of 8 to, eight to 1. So the ark was 6 to 1 in its, in its dimensions, whereas other ships today, the average ships were, are 8 to 1, are 8 to 1. How did Noah know how to construct an ocean liner in proportion to the ocean liners we have today? How did Noah know to do that? You see, some of the mythological stories picture the ark as a, ark as a, as a leaf, as a square box. They pick the, pick, picture the ark as a jug on the back of an alligator, it's on the back of a turtle. But the Bible comes along and gives us the proper dimension of a vessel the size of an average ship today. Six to one versus eight to one. How did that happen? The only answer, it's a true story, <laughs> and it's not mythology. It is a historical account of what God did. Now, I'm not finished. Listen to this. Listen to this. Um, even more important, the dimensions of the ark were sufficiently great to accommodate, to accomplish its intended purpose of saving alive the thousands of kinds of air-breathing creatures that could not otherwise survive, survive a year-long flood. 
assuming the length of a cubit to be about 18 inches, the available floor space of the three-decked ocean liner, the Ark, was 95,000 square feet. You could get a bunch of kitty cats and lions and tigers uh, in, in something that is 95,000 square feet. Its total volume was a million and 396 cubic feet. <clears throat> now while the critic is laughing at the Bible, we're laughing back. <laughs> we're saying, but wait a minute. You explain to us how God could have given to this man the, 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 the proper dimensions of a vessel to save thousands, if not millions of species of animals. Such figures are difficult to picture without comparison. For the sake of realism, now get this, i got five minutes, listen. Imagine waiting at a railroad crossing while 10 freight trains, each pulling 52 boxcars, box move slowly by one after another. That's how much space was available in the ark. For its capacity was equivalent to 520 modern railroad stock cars. 520. Stand down here at the, on the, at the railroad crossing and have 520 railroad cars, stock cars go by. That's how much volume the ark had. This is not a small vessel, okay? A barge of such gigantic size with its thousands of built-in compartments would have been sufficiently large to carry two of every species of air-breathing animal in the world today. This is not a puny little small story. And you and I should hold our heads high. We don't have to be, uh, we don't have to be intimidated uh, if we understand these things or see these things and, and look at them and, uh, and realize, oh my word, God is moving. i got four minutes and we're one paragraph. Scripture tells us it was not until after the flood that the mountains rose. Write it down, Psalm 104.8. After the flood, then the mountains rose. Their rise to great heights was both sudden and supernatural, for the immediate effect of God's intervention was that the waters fled, they hasted away. Psalm 104 says, they hasted away, they flooded quickly away, until the place which you did found for them. Uniformitarian geologists have searched in vain for the forces necessary to raise up the great mountains, mountain ranges of the world. More than 70% of the Earth's surface is covered with water, making, making planet Earth unique in the entire known universe, where nearly all of the matter consists of either flaming gases or frozen solids. In places, the ocean is far deeper, 35,000 feet, 35,000 feet in one part of the Western Pacific than the highest mountains. The sea contains 330 million cubic miles of water. This is enough to fill a standing, a standpipe 75 miles in, in, in diameter and 70,000 miles high. That's how much water is on planet Earth. Which is approximately one-third the distance from the Earth to the Moon. If the Earth's surface was made completely even, it would be covered everywhere by approximately 12,000 feet of water. Thus, when we read that the fountains of the great deep were broken up in the early phases of the, of the flood year, 
in such a way that ocean basins push their waters over the highest mountains of the continents, within six weeks we have a clear indication that mountains before the flood were much lower than those of our present, our present world. We have a lot of rationality and reality in the flood story. Hold your head high. We're not reading mythology. We're not reading uh, uh, stories that just come out of nowhere. We're reading inspired authority from the Word of God. And again, we have confirmation of so much of this, it's not even funny. And I mentioned to you last week, Vilovkovsky, uh, they, they literally had parties when he died because they were so glad that this man had died because his two books absolutely just rewrites geology. His two books just rewrite geology. God does not speak with forked tongue. And we have so much that we can be uh, thankful for, so much revelation. And the world doesn't see it. The world doesn't want to see it. The world doesn't want to hear it. Uh, and yet we don't have to bury our heads in the sand. Okay? Now next week we're going to look at the Nephilim. Who were these giant big guys? And we're going to talk about that next week. Very important. Let's close in prayer. Father, help us understand. And uh, We are grateful for your word. It's the authority from you. And we can depend upon it. And the purpose of these stories is to give us the history, the sad history of the world because of sin. And yet this book of Genesis lays forth for us your redemption that you planned for humanity. Thank you for the Lord Jesus whom you sent for us. In his name we pray. Amen.